If you were to Google crazy state laws, you would be amazed at what you would find. For example, in Alabama, stink bombs and confetti are against the law. And, uh, you know, they probably ought to add glitter to that, but uh, confetti, that's pretty good. In California, you aren't allowed to own, build, or use a nuclear weapon. It's a pretty good idea. In Colorado, you're allowed to own a catapult, but you're not allowed to discharge it. Also, flaming hour, uh, arrows are off-limits. It's on the books. In Iowa, and this is, this actually, I, I like this law, no fake butter is allowed. Any person who attempts to pass off margarine as real butter is guilty of a misdemeanor and punishable up to 30 days in jail and a $625 fine. <laughs> Amen. That's a good law. In Maine, if you advertise on a tombstone, it's against the law. I don't know. What do you advertise on a tombstone? Life insurance? Uh, you know, you should have had your colonoscopy. I don't know. Uh, don't text and drive. I don't know what you put on there. But in Maine, you're not allowed to do that. In Massachusetts, no dancing to the national anthem. I don't know. Somebody must have really uh, danced a lot, and they decided that was a bad, bad thing. All right, New York. There we go. These are some of the ones I found. Um, Every business must have a spittoon and clean it every 24 hours. I've, I've never seen this, you know, that actually enacted, but it's, it's on the book somewhere. It's illegal to shine your shoes after 1 p.m. on Sundays. It's illegal to have a puppet show in your window, and a violation can land you in jail for 30 days. I don't get that one, but... Hunting season, I thought this was a good one. It's illegal to shoot a rabbit from a moving trolley car. Somebody must have been doing that. You know, most of us don't like laws. The crazy dumb ones seem to, that seem to be unreasonable. And a lot of us don't even like the smart ones because uh, when they're being enforced on us, uh, we don't really like it. We don't like having our whatever constrained. Uh, we don't like uh, an outside authority in our lives. But, you know, then there are the laws that are the commands that we find in the Bible. And uh, some of those we just really don't know what to do with them. I don't know if I can call them dumb, but they just seem a little bit unreasonable. Uh, we, don't, we don't understand uh, why, why they're there. So, for example, to put you in mood of the first one, uh, let's just see. we got a little bacon going on there. And uh, I brought some bacon from this morning. I don't know. This, this actually is good. It's Schrader's bacon. Quarantry just the way I like it. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm good. Got a little water to wash it down. Probably should have brought some coffee up here with me. But 
according to Leviticus 11.3, that is off limits. You may eat animal, any animal that has a divided hoof, and chews the cud. And the pig, though, it has a divided hoof, does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. So what do you do with that? Uh, the last two um, Father's Day, we've actually served bacon here and had a little bacon thing going on for Father's Day. And, you know, I had asked myself, was I leading the congregation into sin by having bacon? Um, some of you had some this morning. Anyone have any bacon this morning? Was I the only one? Oh, a few of you. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah, take the fifth. So, um, you know, what, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? It's, it's, it's in there. Then, you know, you have this other one. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Um, probably wouldn't get uh, good parenting skills for that, but it's in there that if your child gets out of line, they're gone. And, uh, you know, what's interesting is you look through Scripture, you really don't see this happening, but, but it's in there. Then there is this really odd uh, law, and I went back and forth, do I even, even share it with you? But uh, we read in Deuteronomy, if two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by the private products, you shall cut her hand off, show her no pity. Now, I, 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 I don't know if this was like happening all the time back then or something. They need to have a rule for this. But, but you know, I, I go, wow, what is, what is that, uh, that all about? Um, also, we have, you know, do not wear clothing we woven of two kinds of material. Uh, we see that, um, you know, and, and sometimes when we come to these situations, these laws, these commandments, <clears throat> these directives, whatever you want to call them, uh, sometimes as Christ followers, you know, we have this, this idea when it comes to the Bible, and we say this, we say, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. But then you bump into some people that actually have read the Bible, and they pull some of these verses out, and they say, what about that? They say, did you eat bacon? And you go, yes, I did. So what is going on with that? Those of you who are graduating from high school and maybe going off to college or the workplace or into the military, uh, you, you know, you're, you're going to find yourselves coming in direct tension with these kinds of things because there's going to be somebody who knows some of these verses and they're going to say, hey, you're a Christian. And they go, you're going to go, yeah, I am. And they're going to say, so you believe in the Bible? And you're going to say, yeah, I do. And then they're going to say, hey, wait a minute. I saw you eating sausage this morning, or I saw some of these other things. So what are you to do with this? How do we live with that? And I don't necessarily think the Bible says it, and this may be very controversial. I believe it, and that settles it, is always the best answer. Um, I don't know if you remember the show West Wing. And they show this moment. I'm going to show it to you. And you can just feel the tension. And in the, in the show, the president at the time, uh, Martin Sheen, <clears throat> supposedly is a, is a faithful person. So he, he, he knows uh, theology and all these kinds of things. And he gets in this little confrontation. And, and this is how it unfolds. <laughs> you know, with so many people participating in the political and social debate, through call-in shows, it's a good idea to be reminded every once in a while. 
It's a good idea to be reminded of the awesome impact, of the awesome impact. I'm sorry, uh, you're Dr. Jenna Jacobs, right? Yes, sir. It's good to have you here. Thank you. The awesome impact of the airwaves and how that translates into the furthering of our national discussions, but obviously also how it can, how it can, forgive me, Dr. Jacobs, are you an MD? A PhD. A PhD. Yes, sir. In psychology? No, sir. Theology? No. Social work? I have a PhD in English literature. I'm asking because on your show people call in for advice and you go by the name Dr. Jacobs on your show and I didn't know if maybe your listeners were confused by that and assumed you had advanced training in psychology, theology, or healthcare. I don't believe they are confused, no, sir. Good. I like your show. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions while I had you here. I'm interested in selling my youngest daughter into slavery as sanctioned in Exodus 21-7. She's a Georgetown sophomore, speaks fluent Italian, always cleared the table when it was her turn. What would a good price for her be? While thinking about that, can I ask another? My chief of staff, Leo McGarry, insists on working on the Sabbath. Exodus 35-2 clearly says he should be put to death. Am I morally obligated to kill him myself, or is it okay to call the police? Here's one that's really important, because we've got a lot of sports fans in this town. Touching the skin of a dead pig makes one unclean. Leviticus 11.7. If they promise to wear gloves, can the Washington Redskins still play football? Can Notre Dame? Can West Point? Does the whole town really have to be together to stone my brother John for planting different crops side by side? Can I burn my mother in a small family gathering for wearing garments made from two different threads? Think about those questions, would you? One last thing. <coughs> While you may be mistaking this for your monthly meeting of the ignorant club, in this building, when the president stands, nobody sits. What do you do with that? How do you navigate that? Now you might say, well, that's Old Testament. The Bible says it settles it, so that's Old Testament and Older Testament, so that's a little different. But uh, I can find some New Testament things that uh, maybe not aren't as extreme, but uh, fall into the same thing. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. You can find this a few times in Scripture. And uh, thankfully, I don't think I've had any of you in the last six and a half years that I've been here greeted me with a kiss. Why don't we do that? Just look at me and you know why you don't do that. But anyway, that's another. First Timothy. <clears throat> First Timothy talks about men everywhere praying, lifting up their holy hands. You know, when we prayed, I, I had my eyes closed, but I don't know if I had opened my eyes, would I have seen all the men with their hands up in the air? Uh, also, we talk about women dressing modestly, we get that, but then the whole idea of, you know, wearing jewelry and hair, hairstyles or uh, golden, gold or pearls or, or whatever. Uh, there seems to be a lens that you and I, as Christ falls, even Jesus himself, looks through when he comes and looks at the scriptures. 
And if you and I don't try to figure out how to navigate that, when we're especially out in the marketplace and outside of these four walls, we find ourselves coming into a lot of difficulty because of some of these things. Uh, sometimes our conflicts on biblical stuff are not with people that don't know anything about the Bible. It's that people that have read the Bible and do know a lot about the Bible. I mean, even Jesus, and we're going to get into this as we continue on moving in the Sermon on the Mount in the weeks to come, but even Jesus has this part where he says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, blah, 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 and then he says, but I tell you, there seems to be another side. There needs to be a lens. There needs to be a, a in a sense, uh, we might call it the spirit of the law, is you and I are, are looking at the scriptures. Jesus seems to read it through a different lens than all of those verses we just mentioned in the Older Testament. There's a lot more of them, and then some of these in the New Testament. See, we're in the middle of this series with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is part three. This is our fourth message, though. And uh, you can check that out and, and find out a little bit more about that. But this morning, we're going to be taking a look at what Jesus says about the law. What does, how does Jesus read it? How does Jesus see it? What's the spirit of the law? How can we have those Older Testament passages and some of those Newer Testament passages? And why do some we, we apply and we hold on to and some we, we kind of just let go? Why is that? How, how can we do that? And the thinking people in your life, outside of faith or inside of faith, will ask these questions. So those of us who are Christ followers need to at least kind of have wrestle with this and, and think through and get into the mess of, of what do we do with stuff like this. So I'd like you to turn over to or open your Bibles to Matthew 5.17. The verses will be up on the screen. If you don't have your own personal copy, you can take that rack Bible with you. It's uh, page 677. And uh, let's just kind of walk through this and see what Jesus says about the law. What does he say about it? And how are we to interact with it uh, today? I mean, you know, again, I had bacon this morning and had no guilty feelings of eating bacon today. And not one of you greeted me with a holy kiss or any kind of kiss coming in today, except for my wife. She did kiss me on the way in, so, and that was good. That was wonderful, wherever you are. <laughs> Beginning in verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappears, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He goes on and he says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly 
not enter the kingdom. You will certainly not be a part of the kingdom of heaven. So at first glance, Jesus embraces, but we could look at story after story after story where he doesn't seem to fully embrace. Or actually, we're going to say that he embraces the deeper, fuller spirit of the law, not, this, not the surface external expression of it. So when Jesus talks about the law, what is he talking about? He's talking about the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, they call it, written by Moses. He's talking about the prophets and the law. He's basically saying all of the Older Testament scriptures. He's saying that is the law. And uh, we've got to realize that there are actually, if you went through and counted them all up, there's 613 rules, regulations, mandates, laws in the Older Testament. And you've also got to realize that what the Pharisees had done, and it was a good intention in the beginning, what they had done is they had taken those rules and they didn't want to get close to breaking them, so they added more rules. So they had actually another 1,500 rules on top of the 613. So, for example, you were not supposed to take the name of the Lord uh, in, in vain. You weren't supposed to say his name. You weren't supposed to do that. So the extra rule was just never say his name. Don't get in the habit of saying his name, because if you get in the habit of saying his name, then in a moment of anger or whatever, you might slip and say it. So, so don't do that. On the Sabbath, don't work, and they somehow figured out that uh, 50 steps was work. So if you walked 49 steps, you were safe and clear. 50 steps, and now you are working on the Sabbath. They also came to the conclusion that women should not look in a mirror on the, on, on the Sabbath, because if a woman looked in the mirror and saw one gray hair and plucked it, that would be work and they would be guilty of breaking the Sabbath. They also, uh, you would hear the bleeding Pharisees, and I may have mentioned these guys before, the bleeding Pharisees uh, would, would never look at a woman, so they would always keep their head down. And the reason they were bleeding is because they would actually walk into things and would cause, you know, like they'd walk into something and, and they would like get scarred and be bleeding. So if you saw someone who was walking around in the Pharisee garb and they were bleeding on their, on their face, you actually went, wow, there is a spiritual guy. He's a bleeding Pharisee. You see, they had gone crazy with this. Uh, they missed the point. The law was actually to be a gift to the people. A gift in the sense that it created this special relationship between people and God. It was supposed to be a gift. It was supposed to, they, in, earlier on, it was, it was a delight to, you. we have these guidance and the ways to live so we can honor God and we can know God and we can be His. That was really the, the intent of it. But they, they messed it up royally. Later on in the Older Testament, some of the concluding books, the last book, uh, Malachi, uh, we see God writing this about the people. He says, why doesn't one of you just shut the temple doors and lock them? This is the place that they would do their worship. 
then none of you can get in and play at religion with this silly, empty-headed worship. I'm not pleased. I don't want any more of this so-called worship. You see, they had taken the intent and they had just messed it up royally. And because they did that, God would actually, actually says to them, I'd rather have you not even show up for church. Because it's such a game with you. It's such an external thing. But something inside has gone awry. And it's more offensive to see you show up and go through the motions and to know that your heart is not in it. So when Jesus talks about the law, he's talking about these 613 He's really not talking about the 1,500. And he's talking about this, but he says it still needs to be fulfilled. So this is, this is interesting. What, what is that? What, what's the intent of that? You see, he fulfills it. Do not think I've come to abolish the law, because on one hand it looked like he had come to abolish the law. He, he, was, he, was, he, was, he was showing fuller what was going on. And they go, he goes, no, that's not what I've come to do. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to, in a sense, if you had a, a container with, a, with some kind of liquid water or, you know, whatever, I've, I've come to fulfill it so it's overflowing. Uh, you know, when he talks about, when it talks about abolishing, it's, it's the, the word of, in a sense, he, I've not come to, in a sense, break the yoke of the law. I've come to fulfill it. And, you know, when I, when I think of the word yoke, I think of that verse, and we're not going to go through the whole thing, but that verse that talks about Jesus saying, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's talking about those kinds of ideas. So Jesus says, I've come to fulfill the intent. I've come to point to what it's all about. And actually, if we were to look at Jesus' life, we would see that in a sense, he is the law with skin on. He, if, if you could find the perfect follower of the law, it was Jesus. And if you look through the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, you would see how he interacts. He actually heals on the Sabbath. He actually, with his disciples, they're, they're hungry and they, they actually eat some wheat. They rub the heads to get the wheat and, and, and the Pharisees are all over them. Jesus has harsh words for them because they had corrupted it. You know, again, he, he doesn't come to accomplish it. So when you and I look at the Older Testament, we look at the Newer Testament, really the whole scripture is really a journey towards God. And if you and I were right now to, let's say, start uh, in Papua New Guinea with the Moorlings, and we were to start with them, and uh, we were to travel with them, and we were to go from Papua New Guinea back to New York, uh, we would get on a plane probably, uh, let's say, you can see we almost miss Hawaii, so I curved back, we'd stop off at Hawaii, Jake, their son, is stationed there now, so we want to see him, and then maybe just for the fun of it, we would get on a boat and take a cruise back to California, then maybe get on another plane, maybe get on a horse, uh, you know, maybe uh, ride a railroad or whatever to get back to New York, and it's one journey, but it's different ways of traveling. And as you really study the scriptures, you'll see that it was a different way of traveling from one place to another. 
And we don't have time to go through that. Sometimes people call that covenants. Sometimes people call that dispensations. But it's the same journey towards God, but it's just a different form of traveling. So when you're flying on a plane or then you're on the boat and you refer back to flying on the plane, it's, it's now the same journey. It's a journey, but it, it's different. The things that concern you on the plane don't concern you on the boat. You're not looking for your seatbelt on the, on the boat, unless you're really in stormy weather, I guess. But I don't think they have seatbelts on big ships. But anyway, you're, you're, not, you're not doing that. Uh, the things that would concern you on the boat wouldn't concern you if you were riding a horse. Now, I personally would never want to ride a horse, but if you were riding a horse, same thing with train, same thing with car. You see, Jesus didn't come to discard the Jewish scriptures. He came to display their intent. The Old Testament was the good news in a bud, in a flower before it flowers, and the New Testament is the bloom. And so when we look at the Older Testament, we need to look through those kinds of lenses when we're thinking about that. Now when Jesus is talking about what it means to follow God and what the, the greatest command ever is, somebody asks him, he goes, you know, and they're thinking, yeah, there's 613 commands, and there's these 1,500 extra ones, and they're thinking, I wonder which ones are the most important. If you had to pick the, the top 10 or the top one, which would you pick? And uh, this is the way Jesus answers, and many of us are familiar with this. Jesus replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sure the listeners are going, what? What about this? What about that? What about this? Jesus says, no. Actually, you can boil all the commandments, the intent of the commandments, the direction of the commandments, down to two concepts. Love God and love others. You could actually have, and if you notice it from Deuteronomy, Moses actually talks about these two concepts too. So these aren't like totally brand new. But what he's really saying, he's saying is if you took all the commandments and left them all there but took out love God and love others, they're a waste. If you took all the other commandments out but kept love God and love others, you're going to be okay. Especially when you get into the New Testament. The New Testament is an application of those two concepts. Jesus himself says, and the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love others. The intent of the Older Testament and even the intent of the New Testament. If you get loving God and applying that, and you get loving others and applying that, you're on the right path. In some ways, I feel a little nervous saying, in a sense, that's all you need once you've said yes to Christ. That's your marching orders. 
Paul gets this when he writes in Romans about this whole concept. He talks about, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commands, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be, just whatever they are, are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Again, summed up over and over again. Love one another. Love others. Love. Love. It goes on and on and on. That is summing up the commands. So when you and I get in those conversations, and when you and I get, what about this? You go, well, you know, that was the part of the journey for them back then. He was building a nation. But the real bottom line is Jesus said, he sums everything up in love others and love God and love others. Galatians, we see the same thing. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as your Self. You see, sometimes you and I get bogged down in the list, the do's and don'ts. And there is a place for that. But it's got to be under the umbrella of love God and love others. I keep this a secret, so keep it a secret with me. I took piano lessons for three years. I played the trumpet and the baritone horn, which is the same kind of fingering, for like four or five years. And when I was learning how to do that, when I was learning how to do music, what do they first start you with? Dun, 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 you know, scales. Scales up and down and back and forward, up and down. And the goal is not to learn how to play scales. The goal is to learn to play music so that people actually want to listen to the music. When you look at the Old Testament law, when you even look at some of the things in the Newer Testament, it's not about keeping do's and don'ts. It's about playing music that is sweet to the ear. Yes, it's important for those things, but the bottom line is, are we playing music? Same way with languages. My dad speaks five languages. I barely speak English. He tried to get me to learn how to speak German. Well, he did German too, but, but mainly Spanish. I failed miserably. Conjugate this, conjugate that. Oh, I can remember, I can remember him leaning over me, trying to get me to do it, and I thought he was going to hit me. I could just tell he was just so frustrated. He was going to like, it's the same feeling I got when I tried to teach him how to run his iPad. I actually said to him, Dad, now I know what you felt like because I want to like, and he's, the goal is not to have just vocabulary. It's again to have a conversation. When you and I emphasize the do's and don'ts, that, that's just that's the basic. It's about the intent. It's about what it means. It's about the conversation. 
That's why Jesus can say, summing everything up, love God and love others. When you and I get the intent, that's why he can embrace the law. That's why he can say that, you know, it's not to disappear because it, it points to something. There's an intent. So know the intent. Don't miss the intent. This idea of the kingdom of heaven. What is that? What is the, the kingdom of heaven? Back in Matthew 4.17, before he gets really into the Sermon on the Mount, this kind of sets the tone. This All this kingdom of heaven. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. Our first response is like a political kingdom. But really, the short of it is the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God in your heart. Someone who loves God wants God to rule in their heart. That's the reason Jesus, when he was before Pilate, for being prepared to be crucified, he says, where's your kingdom? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. He's referring to to the heart. That's where it starts. You and I, no matter who we are, can step into that kingdom today when we say yes to Jesus. Yes, I need forgiveness. Yes, I want you a part of my life. I, I thank you that you gave your life and rose again, so I step into it today and I walk in it for all of my tomorrows. It's a process. And my tomorrows start tomorrow and goes all the way through this chapter of life and into eternity. So you see, when you and I think of the law and Jesus says, I fulfill it, he personally fulfills it. And there's still parts yet to come. When we celebrate communion, we talk about looking for that day when he comes back and sets things right. He's the fulfillment of it. He's the law with skin on. So, how do we, in a sense, live the law? We, again, we let God rule our heart. We let God umpire our heart. We let God make the calls, and that starts on the inside and then works out. The Pharisees were great at outside stuff, but their hearts weren't in it. Some of us have been in Christian world so long that we can put the outfit on, whether our heart's into it or not, and what a shame. Some of us are professional Christians, cultural Christians, but our heart is far from it. We get jaded. I have to watch that for myself. Uh, you know, just like uh, Jason, I grew up going to church. I've heard all the stories. I've seen the good moments. I've seen the, the bad moments. I'm sophisticated enough to act the way a Christian's supposed to work, act on the outside, but I even have it as far from my heart as possible. You see, inside out. Very famous passage. Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or the other, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live 
God's way. And the reason we want to live God's way is because we love God and we love others. Not because we're keeping a list. Not because we're worried if we get out of line, we're going to get slapped down. It's we love God. And in verse 17, very interesting. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the task God has for us. I love that. I want to be shaped. I want to be equipped for the tasks God has for us. And I don't look at those tasks as, oh, it's my honey to-do list from God. I got one more thing to do. I look at that. When I do the task God has for me, I'm getting to be the best person I can be. I'm, I'm being who God made me to be. So I want to fit the best I can those tasks God has before me. So the law, the word, whatever you want to, God, they, they shape me. I, I need to look through the lens of, of loving God and loving others. I need to understand that. So when I come to those really odd verses, I can, I can have an answer. I just don't say the Bible said it, that settles it, that I believe, you know, because there are some verses I would never, ever do. I will run from them. Run from them. I, and, and the reality is, I'd be dead if that verse about take your kid, you know, before the city fathers because your kids rebelled, you know, and throw stones. I'd, I wouldn't have made it. My parents would have been dragging me to the city gates every week or something, you know. So, so what do we do with this? This is where the Pharisees missed it. Don't follow a command and miss the commander. The Pharisees had all these commands, but they missed the commander. They weren't in relationship with him. See, we're to surpass the righteousness, because the righteousness of the Pharisees, when it existed, wasn't a rightness with God and a rightness with others. It was just external. They looked right, but weren't right. You and I as Christ followers, don't follow the commands and miss the command. It's out of relationship that we follow him. This may be a little bit more controversial, but don't violate the greatest commands to follow a secondary command. Uh Uh-oh, what's that mean? Take a look at Acts 10 and 11 on your own and see how Peter interacts with the freedom of eating things he wasn't supposed to eat. Love God, love others. Don't violate. A secondary command should fit with the primary command. That doesn't mean we're wishy-washy. That doesn't mean we let things go. But if we're loving God and loving others, that other thing should fit with that. They shouldn't be opposed to that. You see a lack of mercy with the Pharisees. You see those people that caught the woman in adultery and they want to have her killed. Jesus doesn't do that. See, that doesn't match up. You have to be a thinking person, a thinking Christian to be able to walk through these things. Some of us don't want to think. Some of us don't want to engage. You have to think and participate at a, at a thinking, cognitive level to get these things. It's, it's not a super mystery, but you've got to slow down enough and think. 
We could look at Mark. Jesus gets after the Pharisees. They were such good tithers, such good percentage givers for their tithe that they would even go through all the spices in their house and tithe that. But at the same level, they weren't loving to their parents. Jesus goes, that doesn't make sense. That's a secondary commandment being trumping the primary commandment of loving God and loving others. You see, God wants it in our hearts. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, few places you get this idea. Not the law external, but internal. Paul talks about having all the credentials. And he says, that's good, but it's not good enough. He talks about the real power in faith or in religion is knowing God personally. He throws all that away. It's not the external, it's the internal. I like what Dallas Willard says. He says, trying merely to keep the law is not wholly unlike trying to make an apple tree bear peaches by taping peaches to its branches. Some of us are doing that with our faith. It's got to start on the inside. That's the reason our bottom line is this. Jesus is welcoming us to the, an internal life transforming rather than an external life conforming. Jesus is welcoming us. He's calling us to an internal life that's transforming rather than an external life that is conforming. Eventually the external will come, but it starts on the inside. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Jesus. We thank you for how his words clarify, give us understanding what we're supposed to do with the Older Testament, what we're supposed to do with these phrases that seem to be cultural, that don't fit for today, but do they fit back and forth? Help us to be people that are of the primary commands. Help us to be people that love you and love others. Help it to be an internal transformation that works itself out to the outside, not the other way around. And Father, if there may be somebody here who has not said yes to you, has not be let you begin that transforming work in their hearts, in these very moments now, may they say, Lord, I say yes to you. I want you a part of my life. I accept the gift of your salvation, the walk with you, and I want conforming or transforming on the inside first and foremost. And for those of us who have already said yes to you, may we be a people that are changing day after day after day. And then at times, may that show up on the outside, drawing others to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.